Ever since 2005, when Hurricane Katrina devastated the city of New Orleans and its surroundings, the state of Louisiana has been the site of some of the most far-reaching education reform efforts in the U.S. Among them is the Louisiana Scholarship Program, a statewide school voucher initiative launched in 2012 that seeks to expand access to quality school options for low-income students attending some of the state's most troubled public schools. How have students participating in the program fared academically? And what lessons do their results hold about the promise and pitfalls of school choice as a lever for reform? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Patrick Wolf, the 21st Century Endowed Chair in School Choice in the Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas. Patrick is the author of the new article, What Happened in the Bayou? Examining the Effects of the Louisiana Scholarship Program, that will appear in the fall 2019 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Patrick, welcome to the Ednext podcast. Happy to be here, Marty. Why don't you start out by describing the Louisiana Scholarship Program itself? How does it work and where does it fit in within the national landscape of programs to expand private school choice? So it's a statewide program that represented an expansion of the New Orleans pilot program in school vouchers that was initiated after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, it basically is heavily targeted toward disadvantaged students. They must be in a family at or below 250% of the poverty level in terms of family income, and they have to be leaving a public school rated F, D, or C by the state accountability system. And because of the priority given to uh, students leaving F and D schools, uh, practically uh, almost all of the students participating are leave, leaving those low-rated, low-graded public schools. So it's, it's heavily targeted to disadvantaged students. Uh, the state is actively involved in regulating the program in the sense that private schools must admit uh, any voucher students who seek to enroll in, in that particular school, so they can't apply any admission screens. And the voucher, which is worth $6,000 uh, in tuition, must be accepted for the full cost of educating the child, so families can't be asked to, to add additional funds. And uh, voucher students have to take the state accountability test, and if there are at least 10 students, voucher students, in a grade at a private school participating, they have to report those scores publicly, and they're subject to certain sanctions by the state if the scores are low. So it, that it, it's basically a, a highly targeted, uh, heavily regulated private school choice program. And where does that put it within the national landscape? Are there other programs in other states that are similarly regulated, or are we at one end of the spectrum here? There, there are certainly some that are close to uh, Louisiana in terms of degree of regulation and that share some of the specific regulation. For example, the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program uh, has added the regulation that participating private schools have to administer the state test and report results. That's a new regulation in Milwaukee just over the last few years. Um, and the Indiana uh, Scholarship Program also requires that private school students participating take the state test. 
But there's a long tradition of private school students uh, taking the state test because it's been required for extracurricular activities in that state uh, for for many, many years. Uh, But it was new for the private schools in Louisiana. Uh, Another important uh, consideration is is that private school choice initiatives really started for the most part in urban areas as a way to provide more options to low-income families that were in uh, underperforming urban schools. And lately, we've seen this idea of expansion statewide in programs in Indiana, in Louisiana, in the state of Wisconsin. We're seeing more uh, private school choice programs scoped out to entire states and not focused just on urban populations. And so in that sense, the Louisiana program uh, is, is typical of what's been new on the horizon for private school choice. And you just told us something about the program's geographic scope in that it's statewide. How about its scale just in terms of the number of students who participate, who are allowed to participate? Uh, how is that determined? So uh, basically, there were 250,000 K-12 students eligible for the program under its rules when it launched in 2012, and uh, about 10,000 applied. So that's about 4% of the eligible population. Most of the applicants were outside of the city of New Orleans, and as I'm sure many of your listeners know, uh, in the wake of Katrina, New Orleans also rebuilt its public school system to be a chartered school system overseen by the Recovery School District. And so there was a lot of public school choice already in New Orleans. So most of the participants in the scholarship program are outside of New Orleans, and private school choice is, is sort of their main opportunity for parents to choose a school besides their, their zone public school. Now, you've been studying the program for some time now, and this article represents something of a synthesis and interpretation of what you've learned. You start out by quoting Dylan Williams' observation that in education, everything works somewhere, nothing works everywhere. And you add in your own addition that everything works at something, nothing works at everything. How do those two maxims provide a useful lens for your study team's findings? Sure. Well, we have seen private school choice programs uh, deliver achievement gains in many urban environments where they've been tried. Uh, We've also seen them uh, produce significantly higher levels of educational attainment, that is high school graduation, college enrollment, even college completion in uh, many areas where, where that outcome has been evaluated. Here in Louisiana, I think there definitely was an expectation that the statewide Louisiana Scholarship Program would generate achievement gains for students. Uh, On average, statewide, the achievement levels for students in Louisiana are quite low, and so the expectation is bringing in private schools of choice into the the ambit for low-income, low-performing students would really sort of help encourage them, give them, give them new options, and boost their test scores. Um, and, and we really didn't see that. We saw uh, the opposite in terms of math, that basically math scores 
were lower for the students who were placed in private schools through a lottery uh, in this choice program than the control group kids who wanted to participate but lost the lottery. They, the control group kids ended up with higher math scores in the end. In reading, um, the outcomes were not totally clear uh, in terms of differences between the voucher students and, and the control group students. Uh, in the main sample we used for our evaluation, uh, there were only negative effects of the program on reading test scores in the first year of study. Uh, the second, third, and fourth year, there was no significant difference. So uh, it certainly looks pretty clear that, that students uh, did not gain as much in math achievement as if they participated in the program compared to the randomized control group. So, so that, you know, it, it, in that sense, the Louisiana program did not accomplish that goal. But it did accomplish other goals. Most obviously, it did provide parents with more choices, not as many as perhaps they might have wanted because only a third of the private schools in Louisiana chose to participate in the program. But that's still a private school option that families didn't have before. And we also determined that the program was especially popular among African-American and Hispanic families. And in most cases, the kids uh, who were participating were leaving public schools in which their race was overrepresented and going to private schools that were more integrated by race. So there wasn't a gain there was a gain in terms of school integration. It may not have been intended, it may not have been a focus of the program, uh, but we clearly document that it took place. So this this program intended to be student test scores instead was effective at promoting uh, racial and socioeconomic integration in schools, which was really not its primary intention. So let's come back to those test score findings, which you're right, certainly did defy expectations on the part of those who designed the program. But I think also those of us who have tracked research on private school choice over time, uh, as I understand it, you're following a single cohort of students that was admitted to a private school in 2012 when the program first expanded and then following those students for the next four years as they enrolled in a private school and for some students remained enrolled. Is that correct? That's right, Marty, yes. We only took a single cohort, the initial enrollment cohort in 2012, uh, because we had limited resources, and that was a, a relatively large group, there were over 2,500 students who were subject to lottery placements and were enrolled in grades where testing was going to take place. So that was our criteria for our analytic sample was, was you had to be subject to a lottery for, your, for entering the private school and you had to be in a grade where testing was going to take place over the next few years. So that was over 2,500 students, and we decided to invest our limited resources in tracking them over four years. And the bottom line is that we saw quite substantial negative effects on student achievement in both math and reading in the first year, but only the effects in math remained statistically significant by the end of the study period. Uh, is that right? And what do you think happened? 
Well, I think initially the implementation of the program was chaotic. Uh, it was rushed into implementation. The, the law was enacted in June of 2012, and students were already in their private schools eight weeks later which is crazy fast for implementation of a major new statewide program. Uh, and we heard stories about private school teachers and personnel who didn't even know their school was participating in this program until they, they returned to school in August and found that they were going to have, you know, 75 new high-needs students enrolled in their school, and they really didn't uh, have the programs in place, the systems in place to support this influx of, uh, of new high-needs students. And so what we heard, just not, any, not systematically, but just sort of through the grapevine, was that things were quite chaotic at these participating private schools through the fall semester uh, because of the, the rushed implementation. And so it wasn't a great surprise to many state policymakers that the test scores, the test score effects were negative uh, in the first year. As you mentioned, I mean, this, the magnitude was large, um, especially on the math side, very large negative effects. Um, and so we weren't terribly surprised to see a rebound in the second year um, with, you know, the, the reading scores, uh, uh, the reading effects of the program getting close to, to zero, and the math effects, you know, at least the negative effects being cut in half. Uh, but, it, you know, we were really wondering if, if that trajectory was going to be maintained and maybe if um, – the voucher students would fully catch up and pass the uh, control group students by the third or fourth year. The third year, they did catch up. Uh, we saw no statistically significant differences in student achievement that year, but the state switched to a new test, and there, was no, there were no uh, accountability provisions associated with that test that one year, that first year. And so, one of our theories is is just that the public schools in Louisiana are, are are really good at understanding what they have to do under test score accountability arrangements and are are good at getting their students to to do their best on the state test and when those incentives aren't there you know then they they don't get as good a scores out of their students uh, but the private schools are, are just learning about results-based accountability, test-based accountability. It hasn't been part of their program in Louisiana before. And so part of this might just be differences in responsiveness to test score accountability across the public and private school sector um, because we had that anomaly in the third year where there was sort of no stakes on the test and the scores came back similarly. In the fourth year, in the final year, that sort of resolved the whole issue, um, they, the state went back to its old accountability test, the LEAP and I-LEAP, and there, again, we saw uh, negative effects in math that were pretty close to the size of the negative effects the second year before they switched to that initial test. So there's, there was a lot of sensitivity of these results to the specific test being implemented, 
the stakes attached to it, the grade levels of the students. Um, there's a lot of variation, but overall, you know, the findings were definitely negative effects in math test scores and um, possible negative effects in reading, but not conclusive on that count. So in thinking about why that might be the case, you've flagged the issue of rushed implementation. You've talked about the possibility that the state test is treated differently by the private schools that are participating and the traditional public schools from which students were being drawn. But in the article, you also discussed the possibility that the regulatory framework itself may be to blame. Uh, help us understand how that might be the case. Sure. So the regulatory framework that is built into the Louisiana Scholarship Program is modeled after the way the state of Louisiana regulates public charter schools. So it's sort of the charter school results-based accountability model. And the, the difference in my mind is with private schools, they don't have to participate. It's participation in a, in a choice program is a choice for them. Uh, if they have enough fee-paying customers, then you know they they can they can decide to participate or not. Um, and so I, I suspect a lot of these private schools looked at the extensive set of regulations involved, and, and some of them even involve curriculum. One of the aspects of the program is that if the State Department of Education judges a private school's curriculum as not at least sufficient to the curriculum in the public schools, it could exclude it from receiving you know, additional uh, students, additional uh, voucher students. So um, I think a lot of these private schools, especially the ones that uh, were financially secure to begin with, said, you know, we're probably not gonna gonna participate in this in this program because of the robust set of regulations involved. The schools that participated are ones that probably felt like they had no choice. They we documented that they had lower and and more declining enrollment than the schools that chose not to participate. They also had a longer history of serving uh, students from the minority community, so that might have give the, given them more uh, more preparation uh, and comfort level with serving the kinds of students who are participating in the program. I think the final point to keep in mind is that a smaller portion of the private school population decided to participate in the Louisiana program than in any other statewide uh, school voucher program that we've seen. Uh, so, so, you know, the low participation rate means a couple of things. Um, one, it means fewer choices for, for parents to really find a good, a good private school fit for their child. And two, in all likelihood, most of those one-third of schools participating are coming from the lower uh, part of the quality distribution. So, so fewer choices and, on average, lower quality – um, it, it may have been that, that this set of private schools just weren't prepared to deliver uh, strong achievement gains for the disadvantaged students who enrolled. 
So the basic logic that you've laid out is that the regulatory framework influences the decisions of private schools as to whether or not to participate in the program, and that provides a limited and maybe lower quality set of options for the families that are interested in enrolling their child. Uh, but of course, that regulatory framework is also designed to have an influence on the performance of participating private schools over time. So you know, let me test out this thought experiment for you. As we discussed, your study follows a single cohort of students as they attend a private school over multiple years. Another possible design would look at how the impacts of the program changed over time as it evolves and serves more students. As I think policymakers would hope, less effective private schools are barred from participating and others are encouraged by the regulatory framework and the feedback provided to improve. Um, before sort of rejecting the Louisiana approach out of hand, don't you think we should give that process a chance to play out? Sure. I think it would be great to study multiple cohorts. Uh, we did propose to do that in a, in a grant application, but it was not approved, so we didn't get resources to, to add additional cohorts to the study. But you're exactly right, Marty. Uh, the, a lot of the regulations for the LSP are what could be called back-end uh, regulations, where you know the, the schools had a couple of years to operate before sanctions were administered. And then the expectation is that when the sanctions are administered, when the private schools are temporarily prevented from enrolling additional voucher students, that they would make a concerted effort to improve uh, student outcomes to the point where they would be removed from sanction and, and allowed to enroll more students. Um, because we focused on the initial cohort, we really weren't able to capture much of that. The, again, because the, in the third year when sanctioning would have first happened, the state switched to a new test and made an accommodation that no sanctioning will take place. There really wasn't significant sanctioning of schools until around the fourth year. And, uh, and then perhaps, you know, there just wasn't enough time for any improvements in the private schools to, to demonstrate uh, themselves in the test score performance of this first cohort of, of voucher students. So we really don't know. This is a short-term assessment of the achievement effects of the program. We don't know what the effects long-term are and if the regulatory regime actually has positive effects on the uh, student achievement, you know, several years out. Um, it would be interesting to learn that, and, and hopefully uh, some researchers uh, will be able to do that kind of, a, of an investigation. But we were just limited by resources, resources and time to, you know, focus on this first cohort, follow them for four years in test scores, and then check to see if the decline in test scores actually influenced their college-going rates of the students in the program, and they didn't. Um, the students, the voucher students, enrolled in colleges at the same rate as control group students, even though they suffered uh, some declines in math achievement, uh, at least on the state test. My guest today has been Patrick Wolf, professor at the University of Arkansas and author of What Happened in the Bayou, available now at educationnext.org. 
Patrick, thanks for being part of the podcast. You're welcome, Martin. You've been listening to the Ednex podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.